recorded live from Hong Kong and Toronto. Let's go. This is the PR and Law Podcast. The PR and Law Podcast. Turn it up, turn it up. With your hosts, Cam McMurchy and you and Christy. Welcome to episode 58 of the PR and Law Podcast. I'm your host, Cam McMurchy, along with you and Christy. Hello, Cameron. Ewan's an employment lawyer and partner at Duntroon LLP in Toronto, Canada. His firm is online at duntroon.law. I'm in PR in Hong Kong and publisher of the Digital Bits PR and Communications newsletter at digitalbitspr.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend and you can follow us on the socials, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can even subscribe to us on YouTube and SoundCloud if you so prefer. And you can get our newsletter as well, prlawpodcast.club. Don't forget to sign up to that. Ewan, good day, sir. Good day, Cameron. How are you? Not bad. You know, Ewan, I, uh, we've talked about Hong Kong a few times on this podcast, but uh, over the last few days, we saw any hint of democracy die here. Ewan, again, it's weird being in a city where rights are taken away, but uh, Beijing passed a law uh, unilaterally and it uh, restricted uh, elections here to the degree that if you want to run for the Legislative Council, you need Beijing's okay to even put your name on the ballot. So wow. It's over. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Wow. I <laughs> what mean, a, what a cheery note to open the show. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, where, I mean, what do you, what do you do with that? I mean, yeah. where do you go from there? Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, we, we knew this was coming because they did uh, announce it uh, a couple of months ago, exactly what the new elections were going to look like. Uh, th- I mean, before before you could put yourself on the ballot with enough signatures, right? Just sort of like any other any other election in, in other countries. But, um, you know, those protests from 2019, I, I think they, n- number one, spooked Beijing, that they didn't have control of the city, and number two, enraged Beijing. And um, you can say now that they have a good good hold on what's happening here. That's for sure. They're definitely uh, definitely in charge. What's happening there, Ewan? I assume it's a little a little little more optimistic in Canada. <laughs> Well, yeah, um, I, I think so. We, I mean, we're certainly not dealing with anything uh, quite a, quite that severe uh, of that level. Um, <laughs> and COVID's I, getting I, better there too. I heard yeah, the numbers are going down. Hey, yeah, it is. We're 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 vaccinating like crazy here, Cameron, um, which is which is good news. Um, I I saw uh, another human being, uh, somebody outside of my bubble today. Oh, nice! For the first time in. Uh, um, actually over a year since we we've seen each other, um, which was very, very cool distanced, of course, but, um, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're slowly, but surely getting back to normal, but we're, you know, we're dealing with the same stuff everybody else is dealing with in terms of new variants coming in and, um, you know, how that impacts people have only had one, one dose cause most Canadians still have only had one shot. So, you know, it, it's not like we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, on this front, it's it's really good over here. I mean, we've had zero cases on many days now. And so it's mostly, I mean, p- people are feeling very optimistic now. Uh, I mean, I, everywhere is packed. The restaurants are full. The bars are full again. Um, not, again, not that they were ever empty because we never had them closed. But it's just in a, in a really good spot. And I think, you know, I, th- there has been a shift, though, Ewan, because obviously in... North America and Europe, the vaccination rate is pretty pretty high, and the caseloads are coming down. 
but it's the Asian uh, regions that have really started to have some problems, and that includes Taiwan, for instance. Um, they've had a huge spike, uh, that, and it's their first one, really. Uh, they're dealing with it now. Uh, it's become a major problem there. Yeah, I mean, I saw something about it the other day, and of course it caught my eye just because, I mean, really, that is the example that the global community has turned to, right? And yeah. just the remarkable job that they've done since, since day one of this thing. Continue the debate with us on social media. Join us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PR Law Podcast. All one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Send us your questions now by email to askusatprlawpodcast.com. That's all one word, askusatprlawpodcast.com. Or on social media with the hashtag PRLawPod. That's hashtag P-R-L-A-W-P-O-D. Take it away, Ewan. Well, Cameron, our uh, our old friend Amy Cooper is back in the news. Um, you know, our listeners, they might recall the episode we did on Amy Cooper, which was, if you can believe it, Cam, was all the way back on episode eight. Oh, really? Uh, Single digits. Yeah, it was all the way back, <laughs> all the way ago. back then. Um, you know, Cooper, for those who perhaps didn't hear about this incident, um, Amy Cooper was involved in a pretty shocking racist outburst in Central Park after Christian Cooper, no relation, uh, asked her to put her dog on a leash. Um, when when Miss mm-hmm. Cooper refused, the incident quickly escalated, resulting in Miss Cooper calling 911 and alleging that, quote, an African-American man is threatening my life, end quote. And, you know, as which, of course, couldn't have been any further from the truth. And, you know, through the entirety of this incident, Mr. Cooper remained calm. He was well distanced from Ms. Cooper and clearly was of no threat. And you can see well, the video. So it is clear. Uh, this isn't a he said, she said. Yeah, you can actually see the video. Exactly. The video was quickly posted to Twitter by Mr. Cooper's sister. It went viral. And within hours, Ms. Cooper's employer, Franklin Templeton, suspended her employment and then the following day templeton terminated her and they issued a very brief statement on twitter and all it said was following our internal review of the incident in central park yesterday we have made the decision to terminate the employee evolve involved effective immediately we do not tolerate racism of any kind at franklin templeton end quote right well so um you know I thought and we thought that was the end of that. But earlier this week, Cam, Miss Cooper filed a lawsuit in federal court in Manhattan against Franklin Templeton. And she's seeking damages for loss of wages, bonus, unvested funds, emotional stress damages for alleged racial and gender discrimination, defamation and negligence, um, all in an amount to be determined at trial. So she's claiming racism, basically. She's saying gender and racial discrimination. Is that what you said? That's exactly it. So she's she's claiming this, racial and gender discrimination. She's turned this around completely. So what under what grounds would she have to claim that? I think people are confused about this a bit. They're confused, Kim, because it's it's confusing. 
And it, it, it strikes me as, as kind of, kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, as we've talked about on the show, and again, this is, you know, from, from a place of, of Ontario law, but I mean, really, it, you know, in, in most places in the States as well, you can terminate an employee for any reason or no reason whatsoever. But, right. um, you know, one of the issues here in Ontario, of course, is you cannot terminate an employee um, on, on a, on, on a without cause basis for any reason that is discriminatory under human rights legislation. So all of the stuff that you would, you would assume you can't terminate somebody on the basis of gender, of race, of sexual orientation, of marital status, these sorts of issues. So effectively what, what Cooper is alleging here is she's saying that the basis of the termination from Templeton was that she is a white woman. And had she not been, a white woman, she would not have been terminated. And this is, I mean, precisely what plays into her suit, Cam. So, but how does she know that? How can she make that claim? That seems, is there evidence for that? I mean, look, you can, you can, I mean, as we've talked about before, Cam, on this show, um, nine times out of 10, you will find a lawyer who will bring a suit for effectively anything that you would like to allege. Especially in the U S that doesn't necessarily mean that does not necessarily mean that it's the right thing to do. Um, so fair enough. (laughs) She, well, yeah, I mean, one of the things she says, she says in, in, in her suit is that Templeton quote, perpetuated and legitimized the story of Karen in, in, quotations versus an innocent African-American to its perceived advantage with reckless disregard for the destruction of the plaintiff's life in the process. End wow. quote. Wow. Yes. And she also alleges that the company did not perform an investigation into the incident as it alleged in its Twitter statement. And that as a result of the termination, she has suffered severe emotional distress and that she was suicidal okay so so breaking that down a bit on that point i guess she would have a case maybe because i mean she's right they did fire her quickly now that doesn't mean they didn't do an investigation but it could mean that they didn't do a super thorough one so there seems to be some ground there potentially yeah well i mean look i you know you can argue that the investigation wasn't conducted thoroughly i mean it's not outside the realm of possibility and it's certainly not something that you frequently see in uh, workplace in wrongful dismissal suits you know we see lots of them in ontario where a terminated employee alleges that the investigation was flawed and and often often they are often there are issues with the investigation but i think you know the issue for for miss cooper here is that again the basis of the allegation is that she was terminated because she is a white woman right mm-hmm. that there was actual discrimination on the basis of gender and race those two prohibited grounds and that's effectively what she's going to have to prove that were it not for the fact that she were a white woman she would still be working at franklin templeton i think that's going to be a very very difficult argument to make out yeah i was going to say like to non-lawyers i mean this just sounds ridiculous right i mean you can see on the video what happened. I mean, she she clearly made it racial herself in terms of what she said on the phone to the 911 operator. So, I mean, that that's established and it's fact and there's evidence there for it. In terms of Franklin Templeton's response, if she had been black or Latinx or whatever, would they have kept her on despite that 
sort of racially tinged outburst in Central Park. I don't know. I don't know, but I don't know how she's going to prove that they would have or that they only let her go because she's white. That seems like a very difficult thing to have to prove. Well, that's just it. And it's also a bit of a red herring, right? It's not a matter of whether they would have done this thing had she been, you know, had she been Latin, had she been black, had she been fill in the blank. She has to prove that, you know, it was done because she was white and because she was a woman. And, you know, Templeton, they've, they, they, they've come out swinging on this. They said they intend, they stand by their, their decision. They intend to defend um, the allegations. And you know what? I suspect they probably will, Cam. I don't think that this is the sort of file, you know, often we'll see matters like this where, you know, you have sort of a high profile piece of litigation like this, where you have a plaintiff who, who goes to the press and, and after issuing and serving a claim and then the defendants effectively do the same thing and trying to make a big stink about it when ultimately what what ends up happening is they get into a room with a mediator or the lawyers get involved and they just they they settle out of court i don't i don't know that that's going to happen here because i think that you know in many regards franklin templeton they tied their reputation to this termination. And I don't think that they're going to take a position where they will settle out of court. I mean, obviously we'll, we'll see what happens, but I suspect that that could raise a lot of furor in the public as well. If ultimately they quote unquote paid her off um, in, in an undisclosed out of court settlement. Right. I mean, I think the optics of that could be very, very bad for the company such that I think they're probably going to have to have to fight this and play it out. Yeah. And I guess it does depend on what, what evidence they're going to bring and, and you know what I mean? Some of the details of the, of the case, but I, I I think um, there's no doubt that she, suffered i'm sure she must have suffered from this and you know some of the the claims that she made the, towards the end there you and that you read off no doubt happened is there any way that she can say that some of this suffering that she's had has been due to the actions of franklin templeton and that she should get some compensation for that part so forget the part where she is laid off if we can separate them how about the part where she has suffered? Because Franklin Templeton did make their statement public, for instance, th- those kinds of things. Is that is is there any sort of room there for her to, to, to claim something? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, the, you know, the argument and again, sort of putting this in, a, in, in more of a Canadian context where I can sort of at least comment from a legal perspective. Um, you know, I mean, one of the allegations is is the, the defina- defamation aspect, right? That, yeah, I mean, these were sort of defamatory statements that were made about her in a public sphere and and that she suffered reputational damage accordingly. But here's the problem with that, Cam. I mean, it's only a defamatory statement if it's untrue. And, you know, again, I think anybody who's seen that video um, isn't going to come away from it thinking that Miss Cooper was an innocent bystander in this regard. And and this sort of leads Cam to another issue and hurdle that I think she's going to have to face. And that's the fact that she issued a written apology 
as as you might recall, right? right. In her written apology. Yeah, this is this is what it said. She said, "I reacted emotionally and made false assumptions about his being Mr. Cooper's intentions when, in fact, I was the one who was acting inappropriately by not having my dog on a leash. I am well aware of the pain that misassumptions, misassumptions, okay, and insensitive statements about race cause. I would never have imagined that I would be involved in the type of incident that occurred." End quote. Oh, that's gonna um, kill her. Yeah, that's tough. That's so, going to be tough to know, get out from underneath. Yeah, she's she's fighting fighting a lot of stuff uphill. I, I again, I suspect from a strategic perspective, the goal here would be you know let's let's raise a stink, let's throw everything at the wall in terms of suing Franklin Templeton and see if we can at least get them to put some money on the table because I have no doubt that you know, Miss Cooper's life has been destroyed through this process, and you know we can we can debate about whether or not that's justified or not. But I mean, Mr. Cooper himself said after the fact, look, you know, I think all the piling on has been excessive. Let's leave this woman alone. I think she suffered enough. I mean, that that was his perspective on the issue. Um, You know, but again, that that's not necessarily the point. It's certainly not the basis of a lawsuit. Yeah. You know, you and uh, one other point here too is, is regarding the uh, investigation and her claiming that it wasn't adequately investigated. Her, her employer didn't look into it thoroughly enough. And in her claim, she does basically say if the investigation had been done, it would find that she did not yell at Christian Cooper because she was racist, but because she was alone in the park and frightened to death is the term used in, in her, in her lawsuit. I don't, I just, I, I, even that's going to be difficult because again, you, you can look at the video. It's it's not in the evening. It's daylight, and I mean, Christian Cooper was there to bird watch. <laughs> I mean, I I just like as I look through this too, it just seems like there's not going to be much of an opportunity here for her to for her to get this get this done. No, and look, and 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 again, like Franklin Templeton. Th- they 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 were within the rights to terminate her. The issue, of course, is was that termination yeah. motivated by racial and gender discrimination? Because that you know that is the issue upon which her argument will live and die. Um, yeah. Either she is able to make out a case that were it not for the fact that she was a white woman, um, she would still be working there, or not. And again, having viewed that video. I think it's going to be a very, very, very difficult case for her to make out. Show your support to the PRN Law Podcast by making a one-time donation or setting up a subscription with us on Patreon. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and bring the show to you each week. If you'd like to chip in, please visit PRNLawPodcast.com. That's PRNLawPodcast.com. Click support the show. Thanks for helping us out. So you and an airline uh, found itself in some hot water this past week. Uh, Ryanair, the low-cost carrier in Europe. Uh, you heard about this story, yeah? Where a flight was diverted to Belarus? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, crazy story. Absolutely. And it's actually quite shocking. Uh, and as far as we know, unprecedented uh, as well. Now, I don't want to get into the actual story. I want to take a look more at how Ryanair handled it. Um, but just for listeners who who may have just heard bits and pieces about this or, or who don't know, 
It basically centers on a, a man by the name of Roman Protasevich. He is a journalist. Actually, this bothers me, Ewan, because the media call him a journalist or a dissident journalist. But he's taken a side in a political dispute. So I think activist or dissident is much more accurate uh, in this case. But anyway, this journalist slash dissident has been opposing the government in Belarus. Now, there was an election in Belarus last year. Uh, Alexander Lukashenko uh, won the election. He has been president there for 26 years. It's likely was not a you know a, a fair and uh and and properly held election right we say election in quotation yeah, exactly. marks here right sort of like what's going to happen in hong kong from now on <laughs> anyway so i mean he was involved in protests uh last year against this election the result of the election and lukashenko and um apparently one of his big crimes according to to the the belarusian government is this telegram channel that he runs and uh, Telegram being a more secure chat app that does enable you to sort of rally people together. Again, this was also used in Hong Kong during the protests in, in, in 2019. Anyway, he got on a flight, a Ryanair flight in Athens. And uh, the flight was heading to Vilnius in Lithuania. So not going to Belarus at all. He's going from one country to another. And we will let CNN's Matthew Chance take it from there. This was the scene at Minsk airport at the weekend where Protasevich was taken off this airliner after it had been forced to land because of what the Belarusian authorities said was a mid-air bomb threat. They even deployed a fighter jet to intercept the passenger plane. The airliner with Protasevich on board had been en route from Athens to Vilnius in Lithuania when it was ordered to abruptly change course by Belarusian air traffic control. All right, so that's the gist. Uh, there was the air traffic control. Actually, there's a there's a transcript of the ATC communications. Uh, basically, Belarus contacted the pilot and said there is a bomb on board or a security threat. You need to land in Minsk. The flight was already uh, in. Uh, it was already coming down near Vilnius, and they said come to Minsk as the nearest airport. It wasn't the nearest airport. Vilnius was much closer where they were actually heading. Uh, and so the plane took a took a took a turn and headed to 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 Minsk. And yeah, there were uh, military jets that were scrambled to escort that plane down in Minsk. It's really a shocking kind of development that happened. But now this came out. I mean, this obviously leaked pretty much right away. I mean, there's people on that flight. It landed in Minsk as soon as there was a announcement on board saying that they were the plane was going to be diverted. He was worried right away, and passengers figured out that he was going to be somehow a target pretty quickly. So this came out. Ryanair, obviously, is being contacted by media. Like, what is going on with this flight? And there's already reports that he has been detained. Like, when that when that flight came down in Minsk, you know, security officials came on board, took him off, took off uh, his girlfriend, and a couple of other people who are believed to be Belarusian Secret Service... Uh, who were on board that flight, because there were apparently five or six people that did not reboard the aircraft in Minsk. Ewan, have you seen Ryanair's statement on this? I have not. I have not, Cam. I'm I'm, kind of scared to hear it, to be honest. Well, I'll read it here now. Quote, The crew on a Ryanair flight from Athens to Vilnius today were notified by Belarus ATC of a potential security threat on board and were instructed to divert to the nearest airport, Minsk. 
The aircraft landed safely, and passengers were offloaded while security checks were completed by local authorities. Nothing untoward was found, and authorities cleared the aircraft to depart together with passengers and crew after approximately seven hours on the ground in Minsk. The aircraft departed for Vilnius at 18.50 hours UK time and landed safely at 19.25 hours. Ryanair has notified the relevant national and European safety and security agencies, and we apologize sincerely to all affected passengers for this regrettable delay, which was outside Ryanair's control. So apparently nothing at all happened. (laughs) This is shocking, especially when people know what happened. Again, this this, this was already out. And, um, you know... (laughs) Obviously, this kind of thing, Ewan, this lights up social media. And uh, I encourage our listeners to do a search for the hashtag Ryanair Summaries. Here's one. RMS Titanic left Southampton on April 10th, 1912, and more than 700 passengers arrived safely in New York on April 18th. We apologize sincerely to all affected passengers for this regrettable delay, which was outside of White Star Line's control. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. November 22, 1963. The president's airplane safely left Dallas this afternoon with passengers. (laughs) It goes on (laughs) and it goes on and on. Um, This is uh, just a fiasco for Ryanair, really. And, you know, this is the danger. and, And this circulated in sort of PR circles last week because this is the danger of not thinking this through. Now, I don't know why Ryanair didn't want to address the elephant in the room, which is that basically the plane was hijacked and a passenger was taken off the flight. And everyone knew that. They knew why it was diverted. And they knew who was taken off. And yet, just no no recognition of that whatsoever. And... You know, it's it's shocking to me. So there's kind of two points here. Like, number one, why didn't they say anything? Because I think this was a mistake. If you're not going to say anything, just don't put out a statement. Because this was worse than not saying anything. Because you, you've become mocked now. And, I mean, you and there's hundreds of comments like this about Ryanair summaries on different historical events. Just missing the, missing the main point of what happened. Uh, it's out there. And then on, on the second one is... Even if you're not going to say it, and again, you have to you have to explain, you have to touch on, you have to address the obvious, right? I mean, companies have to do that because people know. Like, it, it looks oddly like they're trying to cover something up or hide something, and and why? Like, this isn't necessarily Ryanair's fault, right? Like, wh- why are they being so coy about this? But second, even if you're not going to 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 address the elephant in the room, write something that's still a lot better than this. I mean, this does look really silly. I mean, they could have just said that there was a security incident and, you know, some passengers are being investigated, something like that. Um, Although that is not my recommendation. But so there's kind of two infractions here. One, they didn't address the issue. And two, in not addressing the issue, they also wrote an awful statement that was left themselves really vulnerable to ridicule. <laughs> it's like a bu- budget airline hiring budget PR cam. Is that what you think is going on I here? They think, can't afford the real deal? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I was poking around their website. And I thought there's really not much on here on the corporate website. I thought they must not have, uh, you know, very many staff there. Uh, here's another one, Ewan. 
Another idyllic summer has come and gone on Amity Island, where residents were treated to visits from an unusually large fish and even got to watch it eat. Hashtag Ryanair summaries. (laughs) Now, you know, I was thinking about how they should have handled this, and I I had a few ideas here. Like, I mean, first off, the fact that they were... Uh, this started with a notification from Belarus ATC. Uh, that's an important point. They included that, so check there. It was a bomb threat. Okay. They mentioned that, sort of. They said it was a security issue. They could have said bomb threat. Either one, okay, so check. They did that. Now, there's a couple of points here that they didn't put in. So, I assume, and I don't know this, but I assume that the crews did follow procedures here. So, if there is uh, a bomb threat, Uh, called into the aircraft from an ATC. I assume that they are supposed to take the advice of the ATC in those situations. I mean, if, if their crew did follow procedures, put that in there. I think that is important because there's actually a lot of criticism right now that the crew should not have diverted. And so this is a, an interesting point of contention. And then explain that upon landing, however many number of people were taken into custody by local police or local authorities. I think this is important as well. I don't think it's necessary to name them. I think there's some privacy issues around that. But I think you you absolutely have to say that some passenger... Because, again, if you're coming out and saying there's a bomb threat or a security threat, it's not beyond comprehension to assume that maybe some people were pulled off the flight when you're landing, right? Like... You're saying there's a security threat, so there is a good chance that maybe somebody on board is suspicious. So I think it's okay to, to do that as well and to point that out. And then they should also explain that Ryanair is investigating what happened. Like, why not say, like, look, this is, um, you know, this is a, an unprecedented situation or it's a very serious situation, you know, that's going to look into exactly what happened and, and figure out, you know, what went wrong or, or what needs to be changed. And again, no, no mention of that. Uh, whatsoever. And then usually when a company is compelled to do something like this or makes a mistake, I mean, the first thing to do is say that you won't, you won't do it again, or you're going to suspend something until, you know, an investigation is complete. And I think the least they could have done is basically say they're not going to fly over Belarusian airspace until, you know, this is resolved. Uh, and, all, and I mean, many, many other airlines announced that basically right away. Uh, but Ryanair didn't, and it's the one that you know was was brought down. So um, these are all kind of basics, and I think by not addressing those points, a I mean you're not addressing the elephant in the room. Uh, B you're not standing up for your crew, your employees, which is important. And then C you're not you're not even saying that something wrong happened. Like you're you're not holding anybody to account, and you're not acknowledging that this is a problem. And no indication that you're going to change anything because it happened, which is insane to me. So, yeah, this was just botched from 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 the beginning to the end. Do you think this was just a simple case of Ryanair thinking, yeah, it's not going to be that big of a story? And they thought they could just sort of just kind of wing it and it well, wouldn't become the big thing that it's become? If they thought that, if their comms thought that, they should not be in comms anymore. I mean, th- this is... Anything to do with aircraft, I mean, there are enough. First of all, th- there's a million sort of aviation folks around the world who love airplanes and who follow, you know, the, the flight radar service and all like they, they look at flights all day long and 
Also, air traffic control is public for the most part. I mean, people listen into it. Other flights in the vicinity of this one may have also picked up some chatter. Like, there, there's, there's no way to keep this kind of thing private. Although, you know, the disappearance of that uh, Malaysian Airlines flight shows there are some things that can be kept private, I guess. But, I mean, this is, um, this is a, a major international incident. Uh, it's not a small thing. And it was illegal, obviously. I mean, this is a, this is a, a huge precedent being set. And yeah, if, if you might be right, Ewan, maybe, maybe somebody there thought this wasn't a big deal, but that person should not be employed in this profession, if that's the case. Have they made any attempt or do you think they'll make any attempt to sort of revisit the statement or acknowledge the error? So the statement is still on their Twitter account, but what I have seen is their CEO has come out and spoken quite a bit since. And so, I, I mean, I think this one... Even though it's it's a it's a bad statement, it's also silly if I can use that word. I mean, that's why there's so much mocking of it online. And again, I do encourage you to go have a look at Ryanair summaries, the hashtag Ryanair summaries, because there's some good examples there. So so this hasn't been you know withdrawn or corrected, but you know the CEO has done uh, quite a bit of press since, and he has addressed this, and he has talked about how this is a huge problem and they are looking into it. So, so they did have somebody come out and speak, um, which is, which is good. It's just the initial reaction was, was, was not. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Check this out. Whoa. Hey, check this out. No, no, wait, wait. Oh, check it out. Check it out. I want you to check this out. On the PR and law podcast. All right, Ewan, what have you got? Well, Cam, I'm going to use my check this out segment to talk about and revisit a story we we touched on a few weeks ago. Do you remember Will Amos, the the liberal MP of Parliament? This was this story went international. He was the guy who uh, found himself in some hot water during a literal uh, House of Commons <laughs> Zoom call. Um, so while Prime Minister, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, was taking questions uh, from his, Amos, who was at his office at the time, he proceeded to take off all of his clothes and get changed, well, not realizing the, the camera yeah. was on his laptop. Right. He hopped in the shower, right? And he was walking around and then dressing himself. Well, no, he said he said he'd gone for a run and he came yeah. back and, um, you know, he was quickly getting changed out of his running clothes into a suit for the for for the zoom call um and didn't realize the camera was on anyway he issued a statement mea culpa and you know people were generally pretty good about it mm-hmm. well cam fast forward a month and it looks like he's at it again uh, this oh, time no. this time amos was caught urinating on camera uh, again during a virtual parliamentary session over over zoom what is wrong with this guy I, I, I don't know, uh, but I, I wanted I wanted to read you his statement because it's sort of confusing. And I thought you would find this fascinating doing what you do, Cam. So let's listen to this. Sure. Last night, while attending House of Commons proceedings virtually in a non-public setting, I urinated without realizing I was on camera. Jeez. I am deeply embarrassed by my actions and the distress that may have caused anybody or they may have caused anybody who witnessed them. While accidental and not visible to the public, this was completely unacceptable, and I apologize unreservedly. I will be stepping aside temporarily from my role as parliamentary secretary and from my committee duties so that I can seek assistance, end quote. Oh, man, there's a lot there to unpack. <laughs> what I mean, yeah. What, 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 are, you, what are your thoughts on well, that? Well, so... so f- First off, this is unacceptable. 
I understand if it happens once. I actually think he, he, he should be removed, actually, um, for this. Because this is... Th- it's... It, it's a dumb mistake again, right? Like, I know some people may be affected by it, but it's it's not a huge crime or anything, what he did. It was a stupid mistake. But he's now done it twice. And it's just, you're, you're, you're an elected representative, right? I mean, if, if it just speaks volumes about him that he's done this twice now. Like, obviously, the first time wasn't traumatizing enough for him. And um, I agree that he shouldn't be there. I, I, you know, but the statement itself, I, I don't. Is he seeking help? I mean, it's just so odd. I, I don't know. I feel like we've kind of lost the plot with all of this stuff too. Like these, these are overly engineered statements that I'm not even sure what they what they mean at this point. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he says, of course, that it was it was an accident, right? He didn't mean to do it, and he didn't mean Obviously. to do it the last time. But he's taking a step back so that he can seek assistance, quote unquote, <laughs> seek assistance. I mean, what, is he going to sit down with somebody for a Zoom tutorial? Because, I mean, clearly he hasn't figured out how to turn off his camera when he needs to turn it off. Right. But clearly, I, I don't think that that's what he's getting at. I and don't it, think so either, because if it was that, he wouldn't need to step aside. He can just call his assistant. See how to well, do Zoom properly. <laughs> like, well, that's just it. And that's what's so bizarre. If you're saying that this was an accident, it wasn't deliberate, and it was an accident the first time, and it wasn't deliberate, what are you seeking assistance for? <laughs> what is the purpose of the assistance that you require? Yeah. Anyway. I know. That's anyway. just so weird. I, yeah. Like, I, I, you know, I give people, and we've talked about this before, when it comes to technology, especially with older folks, like, I, I give them a long sort of rope, right? Because... This, like, people do get confused by technology. This happens. Like, I know that this happens and it's a mistake. And I, you know, I do have some patience for that. I, I don't when it's twice and you're in that position, though. Like, when you're a member of parliament and you go through one awful, humiliating mistake, but then you do it a second time, I, like, that's where my patience is gone because clearly you didn't learn a thing. And even the humiliation of the first time didn't affect you. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I I hope he steps aside for longer. Actually, yeah. Well, I'll, to I'll seek his assistance. Keep my eye on this uh, on yeah. this story as well, Cam. If, if if there are any further developments, uh, I'll be sure to let our listeners know. Yeah, please do. So um, I've got two. One of them I just have to mention you and the, you know the Friends reunion is out there, and um, you're aware of it, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah have yeah. you seen it yet? Uh, no, I didn't. You know. I, I wasn't into I, I it either. I'm going to have to yeah. out myself on this cam. I, I didn't watch Friends the I first time around. I didn't either. You know, it's, um, you know, I know it's this. Actually, I never watched Seinfeld either. I hate, I'm really outing myself now, but I never oh, watched okay. it. Well, then, then be yeah. fun words because okay. I, I yeah. love Seinfeld. So. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I, I've watched a ton of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think I would have watched Seinfeld now if it was on now. But back then, for whatever reason, I didn't. And Friends, I was never into either. I just thought it was sort of a silly sitcom, you know. I. But anyway, I did recognize its power when I moved to Asia, though, because I moved in 2004 to Beijing, and that was the last season of Friends was 2004. And when I arrived in Beijing, Friends was everywhere. Like, it's, it's what everyone talked about. It was how a lot of the young staff that I worked with at the, at the radio station in Beijing, they, they loved Friends. It's how they related to sort of American culture and American way of life and... I, like, I just couldn't believe how big that show was. And so 
I do understand, you know, why this reunion is so big now. It's just that it's it's a global it it's a global phenomenon in a way that's still really popular. And again, I don't fully get it. You know, it's been on where I've been around sometimes, but it's never been something that I've ever sought out, or I, I, I can't name one episode to you really. But anyway, I did watch the reunion and and or most of it. I haven't finished it yet, but I will say this, Hewan. The value in it to me is not the show itself. It's the passage of time. And this does affect everybody because, you know, you, you watch, and, and maybe our generation in particular, because, you know, we were in high school slash college in the 90s, fairly close to, and be younger than what they were in the show, but not too far off. And obviously in the show, they're, they're, they're young, they're good looking, they're funny, they're, they're living this great life. And then, you know, you see them now and they still look pretty good and they're still having fun, but it's different, right? Like they've got some experiences now and they've had some heartbreak and they've had some difficult times. And, you know, so some, you know, Matt LeBlanc has obviously gained some weight and Matthew Perry's had some difficulties with addiction. And it is, I do, I do think it kind of hits home to see them at their peak kind of in terms of their performance from the 90s and then look at them today and not in a bad way i I really want to stress that it's not that oh things have gone downhill but it's just the progression of time and that does hit all of us and i think that's the part of the show that kind of sunk in with me a little bit it's just how quickly this time has has moved on yeah, and I think, you know, the the second act that the show has enjoyed has been really interesting, right? When it hits streaming services, there's been a lot of really, really, um, really interesting articles around the appeal of the show. And and much of it, from, from, from what I've read anyway, is that idea of what life was like in that period of the 90s, to be a 20-something person in a, in a pre-Facebook, you know, Twitter WhatsApp, TikTok, fill in the blank, high speed internet, um, mm-hmm. smartphone era, right? Um, yeah. The idea, you know, all the sort of all the sort of tropes that that are based around an answering machine, for example, <laughs> right, Kim? Yeah. Um, just just the sort of general simplicity, and it's not like it's not like interpersonal relationships were any more simple than or complicated than what they are now. Um, but in the absence of all of the tech that was sort of affiliated with it, um, I, I think that there, at least from what I've read, there's been something that's been been appealing about that, about that style of, of life and not having to deal with that aspect of social interaction. I, I mean, I guess all the dating apps would be another sort of prominent example of something that just wasn't there at the time, right? Yeah, that's that's part. And also the fact that there's no way that you could afford an apartment like that in Manhattan now <laughs> for, yes, for a bunch of uh, 20-somethings. Or then, for yeah, that matter. Or then, really. Yeah, but it's gotten much, much worse. So anyway, yeah, again, not a, not a Friends fan, but it was an interesting watch for me from that perspective. Um, but the second one, you and just really quickly, this one's a little more serious. This is, um, you know, Matt Iglesias from from Vox. I'm actually not a big fan of his, to be honest. Um, I find him a bit sing-songy on podcasts and stuff like that. But he has a Substack newsletter called Slow Boring, and he has written about the media's lab leak fiasco. And this, I, I am with him 100% on this. I, I think the... 
the coronavirus, COVID-19, has obviously been highly politicized in the United States. And it got caught up in it last year on both sides. And because President Trump at the time talked about a lab leak, everybody else came out hard against it in sort of the, you know, liberal establishment in terms of journalism and even scientists in many cases and, and, and media. And, you know, now it's come out that maybe this is this is a possibility and maybe even a likelihood that this is where it came from. And why was it discounted so much last year? And, I mean, the signs are pointing to just a resistance of Trump. And that may be the case. And if that's the case, that's scary because that is an example of politics really trumping healthcare and science in the wrong direction. And this is something that I, I know the left has been very critical of sort of the, the anti-vaxxers or the anti-maskers, you know, about ignoring the science. But I think both sides kind of ignored the science to some degree. And Matt Iglesias really takes, you know, journalism organizations and journalists themselves to task over this failure last year. And uh, it could even cost lives. And so it's a, it's a serious one, and I do recommend this. Uh, his newsletter is Slow Boring. It's on Substack, and uh, I'll put a link to the article and his Substack uh, in the, in the uh, links, yeah, the show notes. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Any messages, you and Any parting messages as we sign off? Well, yeah. I mean, we should, um, you know, wish our, our friends in the U.S. a happy Memorial Day. Yeah, we screwed that weekend. up last week. Yes, Sorry. we screwed that up. Sorry, guys. We're, look, you know, we're... we're <laughs> Please, please, um, you know, just we're Canadians. I don't, I don't, what do you, what do you say? I mean, I, yeah, we should, we should have known better. You know, I, th I we think should have known sometimes better, because of the way that the, the, the Victoria day long weekend falls and I, you know, I might be saying something that's incorrect again. I think there are some years where it does fall the same weekend as the Memorial yeah, day I think long so. weekend. I think Doesn't right. that seem right, Cam? Yeah. Am I not right about that? Yeah. And it should, it should consistently fall at the same time, actually. Okay. Why, why so then. Up, yeah then maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. Anyway, apologies for getting it wrong last weekend. We hope everybody's having a great, healthy, safe, long weekend. And um, we'll be back next week. Yeah, and uh, my, my boss happens to be in the U.S., so uh, I'm glad that he's on holiday today. Good times. All right. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. Don't miss a show. Please subscribe in your podcast app of choice, or you can subscribe to the PR and Law Podcast on our YouTube or SoundCloud channels, and you should check those out. Uh, we're getting quite a, quite a few views on there. Uh, and you can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and our newsletter, of course. we got to get that out. It's prlawpodcast.club. So for you and Christy, this is Cam McMurchie. Light it up. This has been the PR and Law Podcast with Cam McMurchie and Ewan Christie. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend or leave a review. You can also join us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by following our account at PR Law Podcast. That's all one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Thanks for your support. 